This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger. Agam Darshi is back. This is Agam's third visit to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, which is as many as Brian Markinson, although it becomes four if you count our YVR Screen Scene for India event in May 2021. And so I think we should. Agam is the reigning queen of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Beat that, Brian Markinson. Beat that, Brian Markinson. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so today we are going to talk about Donkey Head, a feature film that Agam wrote directed and starred in. Agam is Mona, a failed writer who carves out a life of isolation while caring for her ailing father. When Mona's father has a debilitating stroke, her three successful siblings, played by Stephen Lobo, Sandy Sadhu, and Hus Madhvaji, show up on her doorstep determined to take control of the situation. What ensues is heartbreaking, hilarious, riveting, and ultimately healing. Donkey Head had its world premiere at the Mosaic Festival in Toronto in December and was acquired by Array, Ava DuVernay's distribution company that elevates and amplifies the work of BIPOC filmmakers. Array similarly distributed El Maya Tail Feathers and Kathleen Hepburn's film, The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open, a couple years back. Donkey Head hit Netflix in January, and this month it will open the 2022 Vancouver International Women in Film Festival before having a Canadian theatrical release. This is a big moment for Agam, and for all of us who crave stories we haven't heard and seen before. I feel like every time we've hosted Agam on the podcast, we've spoken with a slightly different version. So this is like the fourth version of Agam we're talking to. (laughs) One who is moving further into storyteller territory and who in turn is taking us along with her. We spoke with her before she went to Sri Lanka to film Funny Boy with Deepa Mehta and after she went to Sri Lanka to film Funny Boy with Deepa Mehta and also when she was about to head to Regina to film Donkey Head. So today... We're going to talk to this fourth version of Agam, the one who just starred in her feature film directorial debut, as well as Mona, her siblings, and where she plans to take us next. Agam Darshi, reigning queen of the the Web Race Racing Podcast. (laughs) Welcome back to the podcast. I want to wear a crown or something. You know what? If we were recording in person, (laughs) I have several crowns in the office, uh, including a Wonder Woman tiara. So we could have just put that right on your head. Yeah, I am wearing a Wonder Woman shirt right now. I noticed. I noticed. (laughs) It's great. Congratulations. First of all, Um, I love the fact that I'm speaking to this venerable director um, as she was 
telling me、uh, that she was craving a banana and almond butter, but that she didn't want to go to the dishwasher for a fork. So then she just was eating it with a chopstick. Like I feel like it's important to get that on the record. <laughs> you know, so I love that this film has not has not changed you so much. But Agam, how would you characterize this particular moment in your career journey and in your journey as a storyteller? It feels.、Um, it feels, without sounding weird, I, I guess it, it feels right. Like it,、mm. in the sense that this feels like, in so many ways, what I'm supposed to be doing.、Mm. I've I've always loved acting. Like acting is very much who I am. But、um, but I always I always sort of had a hard time with playing the role of the actor. You know, and actor, actor,、yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and really sort of playing that part. Everything between action and cut, I loved, and then after cut, I was like, oh, I have to like, I don't know. I felt like I had to be something else. Whereas this feels very right. Like I feel like I'm supposed to be just writing and directing and telling stories that I love. Yeah, I remember when. In our all those many hundreds of episodes ago, because、uh, I'm actually this is like it, we're now in the two hundreds of、oh、episodes gosh, for the Wider Spencer podcast. Oh, thank you, thank you.、So、I'll take、great. the congratulations. I don't、yeah. have a banana and an almond butter and a chopstick <laughs> to celebrate with,、um, but I remember asking you to how you described yourself, and you kind of、mm-hmm. wrestled with that for a little bit, and what you ended up coming to was storyteller. You know, so to hear you now talking about, you know, really serving those stories and doing things, you know, the writing and the directing and the acting to serve those stories, like it's somebody who's been, you know, following you around for so long. It's very satisfying for me.、Wow. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it, it feels it feels really good.、Uh, yeah, good and, know, and right. Still good and right, and there's still a part of me that that wants to.、Um, it's funny, like there's still a part of me that still wants to prove myself more as an actor.、Hmm. Um, that's like, oh, I never like I didn't do the thing that I wanted to do with that yet. Yeah.、Um, but I, I there's yeah. So it's it's kind of a funny. It's it's sort of a funny dance that I have with both of these worlds. Yeah. Well, you know what? When you come back for the fifth time,、um, we will talk about where you are with that. Okay. Let's talk Donkey Head. First of all,、uh, explain the title. Which, if you watch the film, the title is explained.、Um, but t- tell me about the the story behind the the word, the name Donkey Head. Yeah.、Um, so. So I come from a Sikh Punjabi family, and、uh, Punjabis can be. Like they're they're very loving, but they can also be really tough, you、mm. know, and really rough.、Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs>、um, that's actually shown a lot in their language and the way they speak to each other and to their children. And so, a lot of times, if you talk to people who are from Punjabi families, they'll say, "Oh yeah, like I got spanked when I was a kid. I, my parents would just like call me like these awful names." And that's kind of just part of. The culture, and it's、yeah. still it's still words that are you know there's there's love behind it, but、um, 
but it's tough. And so Donkey Head, my mom, when, when I was growing up and I would do something stupid, um, she would just be like, hey, you know, she would say the Punjabi word. Uh, hey, donkey, like, stop doing that or don't be so silly or, you know, it's basically calling your child an ass. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you don't think twice about it. You don't bat an eye. That's just, that's that's the love. The love is in that, like, roughness and the toughness. Yeah, it's it's a love that that pushes you forward. I mean, I think that's the, <laughs> that's the motivation, right? Like, it's tough love. It's like, you know. It's tough love. Yeah. Yeah, it does push you forward and makes you realize um, it doesn't cover up any of your faults. You know? Exactly. It's so funny, right? Because we live in a world now where we're so precious with our children and we really want to give them uh, a good amount of self-esteem going out in the world. That does that did not exist when yeah. I was a child, and I don't think it exists really. And we turned out fine, so maybe we're just going about this all wrong, okay? Did we turn out fine? <laughs> <laughs> did we? Did I? <laughs> for yourself okay <laughs> i can't i can't i was kind of holding on to you as like being like no look look we turned out fine okay so tell me tell us about the inspiration for the film then you told us about the meaning behind the name where does the film come from yeah i mean i love family films i love indie films um I love really fantastic filmmakers like Woody Allen and Noah Baumbach and, you know, people like that. Um, and obviously I've never seen anyone with dark skin in their films. I think Frida Pinto made a, an appearance in a Woody Allen film once, but um, that was very exciting. But yeah. I, I never- <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the shortest drinking game ever. One tiny little shot and it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it, this was kind of, at, at its birth of making this film and writing it was my attempt at making something like that, you know, in a, in a really small way um, where I saw people that I knew in it and, and that felt more familiar to me. Yeah. And then uh, over time, as I dug deeper in the script and into that world, I, um, I, I started bringing more pieces of my own life and the lives of people that I knew um, into this. So it became really specific and quite personal. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about that uh, because, I mean, you, you wrote it, you directed, uh, and you are also the donkey head, the titular donkey <laughs> head. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious about the character of Mona, you know, um, because she is also, she is a, a storyteller. She's a stalled storyteller. Um, and she's a, she tells different kinds of stories in different kinds of ways. Um, I, I'm wondering about the ways that you and Mona are aligned, you know, and, and also how your experience as a storyteller inform Mona's. Hmm. Well, I think there's a lot of Mona in me. I mean, I, I think I'm far more on the surface. I'm far more... Um, you know, put together and um, high functioning, but I think mm. there's a lot of Mona in me. You know, I, I think I definitely suffer from uh, a fear of failure and um, a fear of being forgotten, which is a lot of what Mona deals with. Mm. Um, but she's also blunt and she's a truth teller, which I think I am too. You know, I like to say it as it is. I like to ruffle feathers a little bit um, and kind of push back and push boundaries. And so I think in a lot of ways, we're the same like that. 
have you ruffled feathers with this film, you know, the, in the story that you told? Like, have you experienced that at all with anybody who maybe came to see Donkey Head or has watched Donkey Head on Netflix and, and got something, you know, that, um, well, ruffled feathers? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I have. And, and I, I don't know. I've, I've never seen this film in um, a theater yet with South Asians, uh, with, with Sikh Punjabis specifically mm. like wearing turbans. That's not true. I've, I've seen it with a few of them and they've all been really nice, but I do wonder what it's going to be like to see this once it go, comes out theatrically um, with a, a lot more of them. But I, yeah, I've gotten, um, I, I know somebody like wrote something pretty like intense and uh, not very happy on my like Instagram about it's like, Oh yeah, you're, uh, it, on my post, something about how Mona was sleeping with a white man right after showing a picture of one of the gurus, um, hmm. which happens in the film. So you see a picture of Guru Nanak, um, which is, you know, you see them in a lot of South Asian Punjabi households. And then right after you cut to Mona in bed with, well, with Kim Coates. Um, and it is like, that was very deliberate. And I was very scared like there was a part of me that was scared about it but it also mm. felt so right and i just can't ignore that voice that storyteller yeah. voice when it's like you know that that's the thing that you want to say and it's not it wasn't to ruffle feathers on purpose but it was just to show like these are the things that happen yeah, in our homes and that's mona's so world much. yeah that's her her world and but that's i think that's what's so interesting in like the sikh punjabi culture is that we have all of these like traditions and ceremonies and these pictures of these gurus and it comes across as like a very sort of pious, you know, um, like pious people. But within these same homes, there's alcoholism, there's domestic abuse, there's, you know, um, people are having affairs, like there's all the same kind of stuff that are in every, almost every other home, you know, and yet we don't talk about it and we don't show it. And so I think, I think we need to show it. Yeah. So people get upset. Yeah. Well, and show it and get upset. Show what you do. And well, I was going to say, I got upset. I didn't get upset. I mean, I had, I had a lot of emotions, um, but I'm, I'm applauding the conversations that come from this. Um, so I know that you, if I'm remembering the, the timeline of all the various versions of Agam Darshi coming on my podcast, uh, you filmed this after Funny Boy was released, um, and you had uh, Deepa came on as an as a executive producer on the film, right? So uh, she's nodding because we're we're an audio podcast. Yeah, she's yeah. nodding. Um, so t tell me about the ways that that you know Deepa Mehta, one of our our foremost, you know. Uh, Indian Canadian filmmakers that we have, you know, that, that she empowered you to maybe ruffle feathers in this film or, or be, you know, so involved in all the different levels of production of, of this film. Like, what did you learn from her? That's a really good question. Um, so yeah, I was really fortunate in that I was able to actually, uh, like work with her and see how she interacted. And, and she was interested in the film before I had even told her about it because she had heard about it from someone else, um, hmm. like at CBC. And then she asked to read it, which I was terrified to give it to her, but she read it and she loved it. And then um, she was part of the St. John's Women's uh, Film Festival. She was being 
honored. Mm -hmm. And then because she was being honored, she was allowed to gift a new filmmaker some money. Um, so she, she gifted me um, some money. And, and then, and then after that, I was like, well, this is a good time <laughs> to ask if she would be my executive producer. And she said, yes. And from that point on, it was, it was part mentorship, part therapy. It was hmm. um, in the sense that like, I had a lot of people to lean on for, a, for a lot of the technical sides of things um, sort of helped me to the next step. But nobody really talks about like, just psychologically what happens when you're making a film and I was able to talk to her about that and you know she's the one who said to me we were getting close to shooting and she's like Adam you have got to stop rewriting this thing mm. you have to start putting your director's hat on okay just put that away now think visually you know and she was also afterwards there was really it was really hard when the film was done and uh not after we shot it but after we it was completely finished and it was edited just just that feeling the feeling of emptiness the feeling of just of being really alone after having made this thing mm. and being able to talk to somebody about it and and getting an email back and she's like yeah you you've entered the world of what it's like to be a filmmaker of what it's like to be a director the only way i know how to get through it is by making another film you know, hmm. just like making your next project. So she's been so supportive and and really gracious. You know, she's accomplished so much and she doesn't need to be the supportive. She could just keep doing what she does. But she's, it's almost like she's like, I've done all of this in my career. I need to be able to like help other people do it. Hmm. So it's it's been really wonderful. Casting is so important in this film and you managed to cast some exceptionally talented actors um i want to put a pin in kim Coates. i don't actually want to put it i don't want to put a pin in you kim but we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in kim Coates for a minute and i want to talk about uh, the actors that you cast as your siblings uh two of which are friends of the pod what qualities were you looking for when you were casting parm sandy and Rube? And what did Steve, Sandy, and who bring to the roles? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I'd like to have at least one. <laughs> um, you're so good, Sabrina. You oh, thank you. More. I just like the compliments. Give me compliments. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's a mix, right? So it's like partly what you want the characters to be, but then it's also what you want the actors to be. And this was particularly tricky because it was my directorial debut, but I was also in front of the camera and I was really sensitive to the fact that I wanted to make sure that whoever I brought on board, they were comfortable with the fact that their director was not behind the monitor, that their hmm. director was in front of them. So it was um, something that I spoke to each of them about um, as to how they would feel about that and and um, tried to plan ways to make it easier on them um, through rehearsals and, and all of that. So I needed someone who was, who was really game, who was like, you know, not just an excellent actor, but who would just bring bring enthusiasm and love. And, and we, I've been on sets, you know, that are, beautiful stories and you know it's it's great talented people but what's the point when like there are assholes you know because it just brings the morale mm. down and you can't afford that 
And so it was just finding the right people with heart. But then the actual actors themselves, like with Parm, I don't know. I always knew that I wanted Steven in this. I didn't know in what capacity. I didn't know if he was going to play Parm. I think I had first approached him about playing Rook. And then he read the script and he's like, you know, I really love the role of Parm. And at first I was like, well, I was looking for someone who was Sikh Punjabi, who was wearing a turban. I didn't know if I'd be able to find him. Mm. Um, but it was interesting to me that Steven was so was so invested in that character. Mm. That to me is always a good sign, right? Because then it's like, okay, there's something there. Um, so, you know, I had him read the role of Parm at the read-through. He was great. I even had him... He was such a good sport. I, he, I even had him like test for it. So he did have to audition. Yeah. Um, but it was just not because I didn't think he couldn't do it, but it was like, how does it feel to have him there? And he feels like a brother. Like there's just this feeling, like I have a real deep like respect for him as an actor and as a person. And so it just felt so natural. It felt like there was a lot of love there, mm. um, that it just felt right. And he brought a... Um, like he, so much curiosity. Like he, I remember he would just like send me all these emails with questions and I, and, and that was so exciting to me. And at one point he emailed me, he's like, Oh, this is really great. Like usually directors stop answering me after a certain amount of time. But it's so <laughs> exciting to know that you have an actor who really cares that much that they really want to understand. And particularly the, the, the Punjabi part of it, like he's not Sikh Punjabi. And so, you know, he felt like he had a real duty to bring a real voice, a voice with a lot of like, respect and integrity to this character mm. um and i think he does that so beautifully and and he met with other sikh punjabis and and met with men with turbans and he came over to my parents house and let my mom practice making a turban on him like weekend after weekend after weekend so that kind of like energy was just so like he was so invested and then with sandy Sandy and I go way back. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And she is, um, well, the thing about Sandy on the page is that she was written one way. And when you first meet Sandy Sidhu, um, she can, she looks like someone who has it all together, who's like really beautiful, has an easy life. She looks that way. And then you get to know her and you realize just how much depth and how much heart she has. And mm. so what I love about what she did with, with her character is that she brought so much humanity to it. And she brought a real, like, even wh whether you like the character or don't like the character, you can't deny the fact that she cares, you mm -hmm. know? And so it's not a two-dimensional person. Like, she's not just some foil to Mona. Yeah, no you know, one she, is two-dimensional in your film, though. You no. know, they're, like, they're, there might be archetypes, but there aren't, like, stereotypes or caricatures. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's a really that's a really nice way of putting it. Uh, she just she brought so much heart, and she, and she to me feels like like Sandy the the character feels like somebody who did you write uh, it for Sandy? Sorry, but the fact that you have Sandy the character and Sandy the actor, like I was wondering because I know about your your long history with her. Like, did you write it for her with her in mind? <laughs> I will never tell. You know what? <laughs> to my, my sister is actually, my real sister is named Sandy. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah. Whoa, this yeah. took on even more. <laughs> I know. But Sandy feels very familiar to me. Sandy Sidhu feels like, like, man, if, like, 
past life stuff. Like it feels yeah. like it's there. And so um, it was, a, it was such a joy to work with her and it just felt so, uh, I don't know, just, it was, felt incredibly special and it felt like we were really, we really bonded on this. Yeah. And then Hoos was the wild card. I had never worked with him before. And so he, I obviously knew who he was. Um, he came for an audition kind of like it was a meeting, which I don't understand why agents call it that because it just confuses me. I'm like, am I allowed to audition him? And do we like just talk about the role? Uh, but he was really game and uh, he's, he was funny without trying to be over funny. And he was, he just felt so right. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And I wasn't sure if I should go with someone that I was so unfamiliar with because it can be really scary. Mm. Um, and then Ashley Juan was the one, my husband uh, watched all the tapes and not all the tapes, but he watched some of the ones that I had really like nailed down. And he was like, he's so good. Like you have to go with him. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I did. Cause you know, like sometimes you'll have that one person in the cast who just brings everyone together. He was the guy, he was the guy who huh. it was the pandemic. It was, you know, minus 40 outside in Regina. And he was the one like calling Steven and Sandy being like, Hey, you want to come to my room? You want to go watch, like, you want to watch a movie? He'll bring his guitar over to one of their rooms and he'll be like, it, it was a single oh my God. like, it was so fun. And that energy was really what brought us together. So it was a real blessing. Wow. So it's because I was going to ask you about the like how hard you had to work to get the chemistry, you know, because by the time we meet all the siblings, there there has to be chemistry there. There has to be because there's the history there. But it sounds like it was what, what was it? Was it lightning in a bottle? Was it just like really smart bit. casting? And I, I think it was like it was all of that. It was very yeah. strategic, but um, because everybody that came on board was, they all felt, a res I think, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but just from conversations we've had, they all felt a responsibility because mm. they had never been a part of something where people look like that and they mm. had a lead role in something. So mm -hmm. it was, it felt really it felt really special. So we all felt a responsibility. We all felt like we wanted to put our best foot forward. Um, and then we all genuinely loved each other, hmm. you know? And so it was just a really, it, it was also a pandemic. Nobody could go anywhere. It was really cold. Like, you know, so we we're spending so much time with each other. They were helping each other on with like self tapes. Like it was just, it was really fantastic. So when you yeah. got on set, it was fun. And, and we also had a rehearsal prior so that any questions people had it could be moved out of the way. And I just wanted them to feel that they were supported, even though I was jumping back and forth between director and actor. So they could step on each other's lines. They could improvise if they needed to. Yeah. All right, we're gonna take a pin out of Kim Coates now. Uh, mm -hmm. Kim Coates um, is a producer on the film. Um, son of Regina, if I'm correct. Saskatoon. Saskatoon. Son of Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also plays Mona's morally questionable lover. Um, how did he get involved? And, and what did he bring to the role? Well, my producers uh, from Karma Film, Anand Ramaya and Kelly Balin. Balin. I always get his last name wrong. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they knew him and they had worked with him. And, um, and so... Like they were, they pitched him and I was like, really, you think we can get him? And they're like, you know, let's try. And so we sent him the script and we had a conversation and he was so great and funny. 
Um, and it just seemed like the right, the right kind of thing. And he's from Saskatchewan, so he kind of gets that world in a way, like it's a very specific thing, you know? Mm. Um, and so he got that, that, that world. But I think it also, be, so uh, Kim's always working and his, um, his schedule was really tight. So we had to actually shoot him out in three days. So, Whoa. yeah. So all of his stuff was, was in the first three days of shooting. And then we had a few extra days prior for costume fittings and rehearsals and things like that. And so it was really, it was really fast. Um, but I think what he did was he just, he really boosted the morale. He really made the crew really excited because he has so many fans. Mm. Um, and I think they felt, I'm, I'm, you know, who, who am I to be directing this thing? So I think they also felt like, well, if Kim trusts it, like I'm going to trust it, you know? So he really just sort of brought a certain level uh, right out of the gate. And then I think we all just sort of, we matched it. And mm. when he left, like we found our own rhythm as well, but we we're always keeping that kind of level of professionalism and craftsmanship that he had sort of set. What kind of challenges did you face bringing Donkey Head to the screen? Um, well, in production, it was COVID. Uh, we shot this a year ago, and so that was weird. Uh, but we were safe and nobody got sick. Yeah. Surprisingly. Um, and and then also it was so cold like it was minus 40 and literally like a, the dolly froze one day the bike froze one oh. day it was just <laughs> it was crazy working in that those kinds of conditions can i just say there's there's a scene um, I mean, there are a few scenes outdoors, but there's one that's you and Steve, you and Parm. Uh, and I was like, I'm watching it and I'm like, I can feel how cold these people are. And it's not like you could see the difference between like one of the Christmas movies that films here and Donkey Head filming in the prairies. Where I'm like, you could stuff that films here, not real cold. And you can tell these people are cold. <laughs> yeah. And that was really important to me, you know, because yeah. there's something about like that Canadian experience you know, like if I, if I tell, ask anyone in Canada, what does like, what's the light like at 4 PM on a hmm. January, you know, random January, you just know, you yeah. know, that feeling. And it's so beautiful, especially when there's a lot of snow. Cause the, like just the air crystallizes and it's the light bounces in a way that is so magical. And so yeah. despite how difficult it was to shoot, it was so beautiful as well. Yeah. And I think like, it's, it's really worth it. And also there's something so nice about seeing cold people. Cause that's how we feel. Like we're jumping around. You're never really like standing there having a conversation. Yeah. You're like, you know, so I mean, I don't like being, so being a cold person, but watching you as cold people, I did enjoy that. I got to say <laughs> one of the, one of the moments that I actually found um, really interesting um, and very uncomfortable but also like kind of like revolutionary um, was the one where the siblings go to the, to the bar. And, um, and I don't think I've ever seen South Asian Canadians drinking beer in a bar on screen. Um, Why was that, that uncomfortable? I'm well, I'm going to say oh. uh, that th I loved that. That part was great. Cause I'm like, yeah, that that's great. And then the singing of O Canada was also great. But then the discomfort of, hearing a racial slur right at the end. Um, I found that 
uncomfortable, but also great because it's like, no, this film still acknowledges that racism exists. Uh, but then what happens after where everybody chases that guy? Um, and then I, I'm assuming give it, gives him a, a sweet beat down. Um, I, I found that satisfying. But that whole, that whole scene, it, for me, it's one of my favorite c- scenes in the, in the entire film. And I'm just wondering if you could talk about like what informed it and, and if there's anything in my response that is surprising to you. Oh, I'm so, uh, no, I'm, I'm so, um, I, love, I love hearing that breakdown. <clears throat> um, I went through I, all I, sorts of stuff, Agam. I mean, honestly, <laughs> if you want the Sabrina commentary, we can watch the film together. I would love like, to and hear about this and hear about this. <laughs> here I want a ginger beef. <laughs> um, I love that scene too. It was so fun to shoot. Um, and I knew that I needed a moment just as a writer where siblings came together and where it felt like they were connecting. Um, but there's so much, it's very layered. They're connecting, mm. but at the same time, you know, Parm is acknowledging um, stuff that happened to Mona as a child. And that's actually something that I wanted to also bring up in a really like sort of subtle, funny way is like, I remember years ago, like having a friend and, you know, a Punjabi friend. And he was talking about how his dad, uh, when he was younger, his dad would just sort of like tie him to the balcony outside, um, until like for, for like half the day and like, you know, like probably spank him or whatever. And we laughed about it. Ha ha. Oh, those Punjabi parents, you know, and, and that's just kind of how we, we took those, those types of like situations or those beatings or whatever, but it's abuse, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, like at the end of the day, like it's, it's like, what are we laughing at here? Like it's, you know, and we've become so desensitized to it. So it was, it was a little bit of that. Um, And then, And then the whole Canada thing, like, it's such a complicated relationship because especially now, like, we're seeing so many Especially now. You know, and and so on one hand, we have this country that is really great. Like, it is. Like, we, we, it's, it's a great country, but it's, it's certainly not perfect. And, Mm. um, and so I wanted to show what it was like for, like, an immigrant or like a second generation immigrant and their relationship with the country, which is a very like specific thing. Like they are kind of proud to be Canadian. I wanted to show a family that felt just as South Asian as they did Canadian, if not more sometimes, cause that's how I feel. Yeah. I don't always feel Indian, you know, I feel sometimes way more Canadian. Uh, but then I was also like, you know, really conscious of, the, of those words in O Canada, like our home on native land or our home what is it oh canada our home and native land and right so I Mona sings on on yeah. native land because like that little difference makes it makes a difference like we are on native land yeah um and then the whole like packy sorry to say it but when the guy said shout yeah. at the end like you know go home packy i mean that was something that actually happened to my family like i, I remember yeah. tons of like racial slurs you know growing up and and being called packy um I mean, it, I had a visceral, like a physical reaction to it, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I, I heard it hurled at my own father, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's so, it's dehumanizing and you feel, or I feel, have felt just shame and, and fear and like all of, all of that, you know? And so to have that in that scene after the singing of O Canada as well, it was, I found it really powerful, you know, and it's, it's, it, it didn't preach anything. It just painted, you know, these kind of conflicting emotions, I thought. 
I really appreciate really well. that because like it's this film hasn't really been seen much in Canada and so I'm excited and curious what people are gonna think and, and they're gonna be picking up on those kinds of things which like on um, the rest of the world they don't really they don't they don't know what it is to be Canadian and mm-hmm. and so it'll be just really interesting to kind of see how that lands yeah especially as you say right now where you know we're recording um a week after, you know, the people who occupied our nation's capital and had, and we're singing Oh Canada and, you know, we're waving Canadian flags. Like that's just happened in the year after, you know, um, settler Canadians have been really confronting, you know, what it means to, you know, be part of a country that was built on native land where, you know, um, white Canadians, you know, ripped indigenous children from their families and then buried a lot of them next to these schools, the residential schools. So it's, you know, it's, and that's all happened since, since your film, you know, was, was filmed. So yeah, I, I will definitely be following that, that discourse with interest. Um, Let's talk a bit more about the discourse then and the kind of conversations that you would like to inspire with the film. Like what kind of, what kind of conversations, you know, when this film screens in a theater, and people are in the lobby after the film, having a beverage, you know, talking about stuff. What, what are some kind of conversations or questions that you would like to overhear as you wander around eavesdropping? <laughs> well, I think, I think this one, I, yeah. I, I really appreciate it when, um, when things go beyond what's on the screen. I mean, I, I love getting questions about like, you know, how did what inspired the film and stuff like that. But I, I'm also particularly curious about what it means to be Canadian and seeing this mm. film, what it means to be Sikh Punjabi and seeing this mm. film. I've been able to have a few of those conversations with people and, and do interviews specifically from that perspective of, you know, of like the culture and the religion and, um, and how that hits home for some people. Um, and so I, I, I find that refreshing because I think that's that those are the conversations we should have. And that's where change can happen. Yeah. You mentioned change. Let's talk about a change maker who, like Deepa, like Kim, really believes in your film. And that's Ava DuVernay. Uh, what does her belief in the film and the fact that Array is a distributor of the film you know, mean to you? It's been really powerful. It's it's and a and a, a bit over like overwhelming. Like I'm mm. still just kind of in a pinch me place. Like, it, yeah, I, I remember, um, and I told her this recently. I I remember years ago. I had just had my kids. I have twin boys. They're five and a half now. So I think at this point they might have been like three months. And I had just watched Thirteenth, which mm. is a film, a documentary that Ava had directed. And I remember after watching that, I was just like filled with so much emotion and I just started crying and crying because I realized that my children, they were born with a lucky lottery ticket and they have light skin like their father. Mm. And that is as a result going to change the course of their lives because of that one DNA, you know, thing <laughs> that they yeah. got. And it was just so powerful. Um, and so that's the kind of work that she does. And that's the legacy that she's created and the her ability to be able to touch other people. And so um, 
having been able to to have worked with her and then you know show her my film and have them now like it's on their platform and it's really just open things up you know it's it's like so much of the time you know like we're in the west coast we're making our films you know and some of these films are so great but they don't really get like our community in the West Coast and BC in particular is like so strong and so loving and so supportive. But sometimes these films don't even get like any recognition out East, you know, which is basically where a lot of, you know, like industry stuff happens. And yeah. so they, they just don't get a chance to shine. And so I, I just feel so privileged and lucky to that, that, Array liked this film and gave it a platform because I don't know what would have happened to it otherwise. Mm. It feels like maybe it just would have like gone under the radar and then, you know, like I I would just be working on my next one right away uh, because no one would have seen it, you know, but I do, I believe that Donkey Head is an important film, like whether it's good or bad or whatever, I just think that it's important and that it should be out there. Um, and so I'm just glad that they thought so too and that people can see it yeah i agree with ava for what it's worth <laughs> <laughs> and it's exciting to watch you shine um before i let you go today uh and i want people to know that donkey head having a theatrical release in canada very soon opening the vancouver international women in film festival um screening in the Mumbai Film Festival as well, right? So there are going to be lots of opportunities to see this film moving forward. Um, how has this film changed you, though? You know, like, how has the experience of making Donkey Head, of writing it, directing it, and being Mona on screen, you know, um, how do you think you'll be carrying it into your other stories and other films moving forward? Um, you know, it took me a long time to write this one, uh, to write Donkey Head. And I think in the process, I discovered, I, I got closer to discovering what my voice is as a writer. Hmm. Um, and now having completed it and having it put out there um, and having, you know, emails and letters from people who say that the film resonates with, like they resonate with the film, I think what it's done is just given me just confidence, you know, like, it's just like, I, I, I get my voice. I get in some ways, like I'm more sure of my purpose. I understand what I'm kind of meant to do in a really visceral way and the types of stories I want to tell. And I'm able to walk into the next one with that, kind of assurance as much as I can. It's, it's always so interesting to me, you know, those people who are like just naturally confident. We all know them. Like they just like have this, like they, they're like, yeah, I got this. Mm -hmm. I'm not that. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I'm the opposite. I'm one of those people where I'm like, I need to know everything about everything before I can even say that I know what I'm doing, mm -hmm. you know? But I think I, I'm just, I'm a little bit, I'm more there now than I've ever been. Um, I think that also just comes with age, you know, I'm, I'm able to like, just feel more sure. Yeah. And good and also right. <laughs> <laughs> That's full circle right back to the beginning. Agam Darshi, thank you so much for coming back 
the fourth time today. Suck it, Brian Markinson. <laughs> Autumn's the reigning queen. Where can our listeners find you, follow you, stay up to date on Doggy Head and what you're working on? Yeah. Well, Instagram, Agam Darshi. Um, I think Facebook sometimes, <laughs> Agam Darshi. Um, and I think Twitter, which is Darshi Agam. Yeah. Just, yeah, you'll find me. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And um, <laughs> you can find Donkey Head at the 2022 Vancouver International Women in Film Festival. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners. Please like and subscribe. Leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners and we can keep having conversations like the rad one that we had today. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenScene and at Sabrina. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Mara Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger, Deverley for the original music. Webber Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.